there is not one narrative. Uh, white supremacy would like to put us into one model minority narrative or maybe one perpetual foreigner type narrative. But we're not. I like to say we're more of a chorus than one voice, right? People are like, oh, what's the Asian American voice? I'm like, we're actually more of a choir. There's a lot of us. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Wine Women Preach. And we have a really exciting episode ahead because we're going to be discussing a new upcoming book that will be released this coming August. And you can pre-order it today through multiple sites. Ivy Press and Amazon are just a few. But the link to pre-order is included in the bio. And the book is called Learning Our Names. I want to read a little bit of the overview as well because it captures the essence of what this book is about. Asian Americans know the pain of being called names that deny our humanity. We may toggle back and forth between different names as a survival strategy, but it's a challenge to discern what names reflect our true identities as Asian Americans and as Christians. In an era when Asians face ongoing discrimination and marginalization, it can be hard to live into God's calling for our lives. So please be on the lookout on our social media platforms for more information and promotions that will be coming up in the next coming weeks. Our guest today is the National Director of Asian American Ministries for InterVarsity Christian Fellowship USA. And she's a daughter of immigrants from Hong Kong. She's originally from Richmond, Virginia, worked as a network engineer after graduating from Rice University. She's led campus ministries and supervised staff teams in Texas and the San Francisco Bay Area. She loves preaching and has spoken at many churches and conferences from Manila, Philippines, all the way to Toronto, Canada, and across the United States. She consults and trains in leadership development and ethnic and racial development and justice. Sabrina earned her Master of Arts in Theology from Fuller Seminary. She helped plant a church. She's an ordained minister. Now she's an author. You can find her on at Sabrina Chan writes that will also be in the bio. So first, I want to thank you um, and just share that this was such a beautiful read because it interweaves our experiences as Asian Americans. It names issues and many of us have dealt with what was written in these pages and how we can lean into our faith without separating ourselves from our culture and our history. And it serves as a map to help us navigate through our both our individual and collective identities. I wish there was a book like this when I was a young college student. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, but even still, as someone in her mid-30s, I found so much life in it. And so just thank you and to the contributors for writing this amazing work. Um, And with that, I just want to invite you um, to share with us what it was like for you to write this book and what does it mean to learn our name for you? Yeah, no, that's great. Thanks, Joanna. And thanks, Young, for having me. It's an honor to be here. Um, Yeah, well, first I want to say it's been a group effort for sure. So I invited three co-authors to do this with me. as the national director, I felt like it's time for another book. You know, there was a book uh, about 20 years ago, a little more than more than 20 years ago now um, that w- came out when I was a student. And when I took the role of national director, I thought it's been a long time. Asian America has changed. And I also wanted to represent more of the diversity of Asian America. So, yeah, invited my co-authors, La Tao, uh, David DeLeon and Linson Daniel. And we all worked together to sort of 
say, what are the topics that we want to address in this book? Um, what are the themes? What do we think are the underlying pieces? And we started meeting, it was November 2018. So November 2018, we met up at, at, at our friend Greg Howe's house. He was, he was consulting with us. Kathy Kong also helped us sort of think about you know, doing a multi-author book and what are the topics for young Asian Americans. She sort of facilitated our time. And we started, we started writing at that point in November, 2018, about a year later, we were like, okay, we're getting, we're getting closer. Like we're getting closer to finishing. And then the pandemic happened. Mm -hmm. And I think it just was, it was very challenging, you know, for, for everyone, um, for sure. And then, um, I think, in that season when everything was changing and trying to navigate like what's happening with the virus, what's happening for Asian Americans as, you know, um, things are said by government officials and what kind of attacks are happening. There's just a lot of anxiety and, and it was hard to do anything, right? Much less write. And, mm -hmm. and I realized, you know, writing is hard for me in the most ideal of circumstances. Mm -hmm. So for a long time, the book I think it was just a little bit on pause because it was like, we're trying, but this is hard. And then I think having co-authors was really important. One of my friends was asking me, like, how did you do that? I was like, honestly, if it were just me, I would have given up. Mm -hmm. um, I think I would have just been like, sorry, IVP, I can't, I can't do it. Um, but because I knew that others had put in a lot of effort into it as, as well, it felt like, no, I, we have, I have to keep going. I have to keep trying because... It would dishonor the other people's work, right? And and I was honestly, I was the furthest behind. Um, and so it, it was a challenging process and um, as it relates to the pandemic, for sure. But also, I think it was trying to keep in mind who we hope the book will help mm -hmm. um, was really important. So the more I could like connect with students or student leaders at different points, um, the more I, it was easier to remember, okay, this is this is for you, right? Like I can try and put some of the other voices out of my head, right? So, you know, there's a lot of different voices in my head, like, oh, what will X person think? Or what will this kind of person think? Or mm -hmm. um, what will more conservative pastors think? Or what will, you know, whatever, more liberal folks think, you know, of what we say. It's like, well, you know what? I'm just trying to write for our students. And like, let's try and just write what's helpful, what we, what we know, what we think is helpful. And just trust, you know, that it'll, that it'll, we'll put it out there. It's not going to be perfect. You know, no book is ever perfect and it only represents where we're at right now. Um, but th it, it was, it's, um, I feel like writing is, is a very <laughs> mental sort of thing. You know what I mean? It's like, oh, this is hard. Um, <laughs> like a mental game. You know what I mean? Like getting in the, in the headspace for it. Um, but writing with other people was, was key for me, you know, having people to be able to look at it and say, what do you think? Or being able to dialogue with friend, with, you know, La or David, call him up and listen and say like, Hey, what do you think about this? You know, um, does this true for you? Does this ring true for you and your community? You know, this is, this is what I'm hearing, feeling over here. Um, but yeah, and we, you know, the forward of the book, it says something along the lines of for the next generation, we did mm -hmm. our best and we hope you rewrite it again when it's time you know or mm -hmm. you write your own when it's time or something like that something to say like we're not trying to be the end-all be-all of you know following Jesus as a young Asian American we're trying to give what we have right now and we trust that the next generation will will because you know because 
because race changes, Asian American identity changes, you know, like um, following Jesus and discernment in different contexts is going to look different. Sabrina, let me chime in. Yeah. Very other centered, definitely pastoral. But as Joanna mentioned, I'm curious. What's your experience after finally naming, you know, learning our names personally? I think for me, it it was part of a larger process of these last few years of owning more of my voice, uh, figuring out what that sounds like, what's important to me, how I bring my gifts to the table. You know, I'm an engineer. I was an engineer. I was trained as an engineer. I didn't write papers in college. (laughs) Um, when I went to seminary, writing papers was a pretty big struggle. Um, and so writing book chapters felt like something I wanted to do, but figuring out how to do it, it was, it's humbling, right? It's humbling. You put it out there and it, you know, the, the hard thing about books is you can't change it after it's in print, right? It's kind of just out there. So it's humbling to sort of say like, well, this is my best thinking right now and I know it'll probably change. But I'm going to trust that God can do something with this, even though I know it's not perfect, even though maybe I wish I had more time or I wish I were more eloquent. Um, So in those ways, I think it was very character shaping um, for me personally. And maybe partly because it was all throughout the pandemic, a lot of it, it was humbling and and empowering at the same time, if that makes sense. Humbling because you realize you're not going to be perfect and you just got to try and empowering in the sense that, oh, this is what my voice sounds like. Okay. Mm-hmm. And to start to get initial feedback from people saying like, oh, this is helpful. Or like, oh, I really appreciate the way you put this. You know, like, that's empowering. I am talking about how learning our names, different names from the white name. <laughs> sure, sure. I remember one of the Asian American female, you know, a mentee of mine. She struggled so much how to uh, spell her last name. She went back and forth, H-W-A-N-G to W-O-N-G, and then couldn't settle that otherizing last name. Sure. And so when I saw the title, Learning Our Names, I thought it was quite deep. Mm. what it means to really not be ashamed of yeah. different last name or right. Asian name, you name it. Mm-hmm. So the title is really deep. It mm. really encompasses the whole marginalized Asian American identity. And now you all boldly name, we're going <laughs> to learn our name. We're going to collect our names. Yep. Uh, unabashedly (laughs) that's great that's That's what it's about yep yep you're exactly right yeah definitely about about learning our names reclaiming our names sort of um and saying like this is who we are you know and inviting others into learning you know it's it's in it was intentionally this is where i'm not i'm an engineer a gerund ing means it's a gerund right so it means it's a constant it's a process we're always Mm -hmm. learning our names right we're always uh, in process, learning who we are and and claiming that. And it's both the, we're learning our own names and we're inviting other people, hey, learn our names. <laughs> you yeah. Know? 
learn how to pronounce it, you know, learn what, um, learn about our identities, um, Mm -hmm. learn about our people. um, And ancestry. (laughs) Yep, yep, yep. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, I think learning our names, it, it is a little bit like I was describing earlier, an invitation to to read some some authors thoughts and reflections and our our sort of our, what the best we have to offer right now mm-hmm. but it's also an invitation for the person to reflect for themselves right it, mm-hmm. we don't want people to say like oh well you know sabrina wrote this so that must be the way it is i mean mm-hmm. i i hope i'm bringing something helpful but i don't mean we don't mean for each thing to be taken and and say oh this is what i have to be like or this is what it looks like this is the only way this is what it looks like for an asian american christian to follow jesus we're saying this is it Mm -hmm. one way it looks like Mm -hmm. or several ways it looks like um and we've done it out of uh, a lot of conversations with asian american christians and folks we've been in ministry with or led or or pastored it's not meant to be totally prescriptive in that sense. Mm-hmm. That makes, mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. You know, I think there are some things you could walk away with that are prescriptive. There's places where we say, Hey, try this, or this is something that's worked for a lot of people, mm-hmm. but it's not meant to be a how to, I guess, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. Right. I think to add to that too, of what you're both talking about is I think what the book does really well is it defines and explains terms that many of us are used to hearing right? Like Asian American culture, identity, model minority, perpetual foreigner, like those terms that especially during this time that we've gotten used to hearing about. But then those terms are defined and broken down in a way that sort of invites us to disassociate from the narrative that's been built into the meaning of the word. And words that have either been projected onto us or that we've internalized ourselves. So by naming it, and explaining what it is and how it plays into our lives, I feel like that really gave a great invitation for us to see ourselves apart from the projective narratives and to learn who we are, mm-hmm. you know, to learn mm. who we are in the process of that. Mm. And let's uh, take that naming <laughs> concept to Genesis, mm-hmm. asking Adam and Eve, there's an amazing power of naming and those who name their reality are not minorities. <laughs> we begin naming our realities and our names. Uh, we become powerful as we are. So on that note, on naming, <laughs> central theme, um, but you, you wrote specifically in your section about harmful stereotypes. And I wanted to ask you a little bit about that. Yeah. Um, specifically regarding Asian American women and men. And you even gave the specific example of a woman's ministry that was named GQ, not the men's magazine, but gentle and quiet, <laughs> referring <laughs> to the verse in First Peter 3, 4, right? And how that name, using that name reinforced a harmful stereotype that Asian American women um, are looked are they fall into? So, what are some other stereotypes that you believe women may have unknowingly or un, or knowingly bought into that needs to be dismantled within the church? Mm. Because you also spoke about empowering leadership. What are those things that needs to be dismantled? Those harmful stereotypes within that we've either internalized or that have been projected onto us, so that we can lean into the empowering leadership that you talk about. 
I mean, this is pretty basic, <laughs> but I think I have had, I'll, I'll just say it for me, I have had to work through the idea that my leadership is not as good, um, mm. that my style of leadership is not as good, that the preferred style of leadership, and I think we wrote about this a little bit in the book, is this is this sort of white male, I'm out in front, brave heart, kind of, you know, follow me, I know exactly where we're going, you know, and and so some of that by by my personality. So this is not all right, Asian American women. Um, but and so some of it's my personality too. But I think in ju- in speaking in generalizations, like we say in the book, like we're not trying to stereotype, but we're tr- it, we may speak in some generalizations. Women tend to be uh, more communal and some of those things. And and my leadership doesn't look like what's his name in Braveheart. You know, it. it <laughs> I'm rarely out front you know, leading the charge, you know, I'm, I'm more, I'm more collaborative. I want to know where, what people's strengths are on my team. I want to know what people's strengths are, what they're interested in, what they're passionate about. And together, how do we get towards our goal? And I even want to discern our goal together. And one of my friends, uh, a colleague in InterVarsity, Stacey Rafferty, she's a Latina woman. I was in a meeting with her and I watched her leading. And, and at one point she was leading in this, us in this collaborative work and she just interpreted for the group. I just want you to know I'm not abdicating leadership right now. I'm leading a collaborative process. Mm. And I just really, I took note, I wrote the, I wrote the quote, I wrote the comment down because I thought she's helping people understand her style. Mm. I wish we didn't have to do that. I wish we didn't have to self-validate and interpret for the group. Like this is what I'm doing. Um, But I love that she did it because it, I think she had recognized that. I I don't know totally why she did it, but, my guess is she had recognized that some people see the collaborative as weaker. And she was saying, no, th- this I think is a, the right way to do this. And I'm, I'm not abdicating, abdicating leadership. I'm actually leading out in leading us in this collaborative process. Um, but yeah, for me, that's been one, one thing that honestly, I still, I still wrestle with at different points, right? Like is my leadership style or, um, or, and not just style, but just even for some people, right? Like me showing up as who I am in my body or it, it bothers them, right? And so sometimes depending on the context I'm in, I might interpret my preaching style for the congregation, depending on whether, what type of sermon I'm doing. I have, I have sometimes even said, Hey, you, I'm not sure what your preaching is typically like here at this church or in your, you know, in your group, but, um, this is, I'm just going to tell you a little bit of what to expect, or this is how my preaching goes. I'm not, you know, I preach a lot of sermons that aren't three-point sermons, right? So I'll say that. I'm like, I don't have three points that are going to be necessarily simple to write down, but I have themes and, you know, da, da, da. so this is how you might take notes or how you might think about it. You know, that's that's helped in some situations where people might feel a little suspicious of a woman preaching or feel a little bit, even if they're not suspicious, they it just feels different. And so they don't know. And so sometimes I've learned from Stacy and others to try and interpret myself for them. I shouldn't have to do that, mm. but that's one way I think I can also help serve them and give them an on-ramp. Um, as to your question about how men can help, um, help empower women um, within our communities. I, you know, one Example that Linson writes about in the chapter is that is his recommending recommending of other of, of women to preach um, when he can't make it or um, and, or when um, when he thinks they'll do a better job. 
than him. I think I was thinking about that recently and it, and thinking about that in relation to a Harvard Business Review article I read recently where they were talking about how they were talking about hiring. If there's only one woman candidate, say out of a group of four finalists for a, a job, they ran the study. The woman has virtually no chance of being hired. When there's two women candidates, yeah. it becomes a 50% chance that a woman is hired. Two out of four. And then when there's three women candidates out of four, there's a 67% chance that the woman's going to be hired. So super fascinating, right? Like I'm interested in those numbers and interested in like what is going on. But the main takeaway they were trying to say was when there's only one woman candidate or only one person of color candidate, because they ran the study for both, there's virtually no chance that the woman is going to be selected. And so I've been thinking about that and thinking I would encourage men to nominate multiple women, like two, three, four women when they're asked, not just one woman they know who's a good speaker, because that woman is going to have virtually no chance of being selected. Um, I, I hadn't read the article yet, but I recently got asked to speak at a, a, a church retreat that I just couldn't do. And so they'd asked me, oh, do you have other recommendations? And I only sent him three women's names, you know, and a little bit of description about like who they are and what I think they're good at and stuff like that. But I, I think I think too often men who believe that are equal in the pulpit, they believe that, but they still only recommend one or two women. Mm -hmm. I would challenge those men to make their lists 70-30 towards women, right? Make that, make it that three out of four, make the group of three women out of a list of four so that there's more of a chance that a woman will preach. You know, churches have broken off and made their own denominations totally based on, right, whether women can preach uh, the Presbyterians, right? Eco. But even those churches that have broken off out of the PCA or whatever to, to be in eco, I think they probably only have women preach every once in a blue moon, you know? And it's like worth, it, it's worth changing denominations over, but in the practical of it, there's still not very many women mm -hmm. preaching. So anyway, that's my, that was one thing I was thinking about that I think men could do. Did I pick up some internal image of leadership that you have in your mind what do you mean there's some comparison <laughs> oh yeah i mean I wrote about comparison in the book yeah for sure <laughs> i think that's a challenge for for a lot of people i think for women especially and maybe asian americans right it's the like we often compare other people's best qualities you know the only the things you can see on the outside to to ours and to maybe like our non-strengths our weaknesses um but also compare and despair, right, is what one of my one of my <clears throat> friends likes to say. And I know that's a common saying. You know, and, and, and the, in that chapter, I write a bit about, um, uh, you know what, this one didn't make it in either. But there, there are not very many um, Asian American women in uh, senior leadership in InterVarsity. I bet. Um, there's not a lot of us, though that doesn't keep them from getting us confused, <laughs> um, <laughs> which is unfortunate. But uh, learn their names. That's right. Learn our <laughs> names. And and I think where I might be sometimes tempted to compare like, oh, they're such a great MC or they're such a great speaker or, you know, whatever, whatever. One of the things I did early on when I took this national director role was sought out one of the other Asian American women and we started, we became prayer partners. So we <clears> prayed <throat> monthly together. And I think that helped change it helps me not compare. So I, I write in the chapter about choosing sisterhood, trying to choose sisterhood over comparison, right? And so like, what does that look like to um, 
empower each other to think, to not think with the mindset that there's only room at the table for one of us, Mm -hmm. um, Mm -hmm. to think, no, let's make room for more of us so that our voices can be magnified Mm -hmm. um, and that we can support each other. There might be listeners who may not be as well versed about, uh, you know, intervarsity. So what's it like for you to direct national Asian American ministry? I love my job. Um, it's, it's hard. It's challenging. Um, InterVarsity has a long history of ministry amongst Asian Americans and, um, we, we have about, I think it's like 260 Asian American staff wow. um, in the movement right now and serving probably, I, you know, I haven't seen the latest numbers, but several thousand Asian American students and student leaders. Um, now, now, not all of those staff serve in Asian American specific contexts, but um, all, the, all those staff are serving with InterVarsity in different ways. I really love my role. I love the people I get to work with. For us, I think some of the challenges, you know, InterVarsity, like most institutions in America, are historically white institution, you know. Um, and so there's ways that organizational norms and things don't really fit Asian Americans. And so mm-hmm. challenges that way. But then even within, I would say, AAM, within Asian American ministries, we're trying to help InterVarsity honor and reach Asian American communities on campus with the gospel. We're trying to do that by developing and discipling and empowering distinctly Asian American Christian leaders. Mm -hmm. We just had our conference and our theme was loving Asian America. And one of the pieces was there's just so many, there is not one narrative, right? Uh, White supremacy would like to put us into one model minority narrative or maybe one perpetual foreigner type narrative, but we're not. We're, I like to say we're more of a chorus than one voice, right? People are like, oh, what's the Asian American voice? I'm like, we're actually more of a choir. Like mm-hmm. there's a lot of us and there's a lot of different sounding um, voices. So we're talking about like, what does it look like to love Asian American, all of our complexity of stories, whether that's migration narrative or ethnicity or generation, all these different pieces. It's especially, I think I would say, been a challenge over these last few years um, with the rise in anti-Asian hate I think pastoring and caring for, I, I really feel for my staff, especially the ones who work with Asian American student groups, because they're both trying to process on their own, but also trying to hold space mm-hmm. for their students and walk them through, you know, going to college during the pandemic, which is mm-hmm. also really hard and mental health challenges and then racism and worrying about their parents back at home, you know, like all these different things. I think that's, it's been, an honor to try and pastor and care for folks and resource them in that time. And it's also, I just, I feel the, the ways that that's been hard. Well, Sabrina, we want to thank you again for joining our podcast today. And I want to leave our listeners with what you said, your quote, which was, we don't just have one voice as Asian Americans, but we have a chorus. Um, so thank you so much for sharing your insight and perspective and, and, Again, for you and all the contributors to writing this amazing book. If you'd like to support Isaac in producing this podcast or our overall mission of supporting AAPI and Latina women ministers, you can donate to Isaac at isaacweb.org.